breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another episode of Reform This. It is always great to be with you and thank you for taking the time to join me this week. We have, uh, as always, a lot of things to talk about on the front of radical Islam, foreign policy, national security, reform, Muslim communities, identity politics, Islamism, just a sampling of some of the things that you and I talk about week to week. Sometimes people say, well, you know, why is it that these news segments, we only get like 20 seconds from each person and it only lasts four minutes. We don't really get in-depth thinking. And I think at least on this podcast, once a week, I get an opportunity to give you a little more in-depth thought into the issues of the day. And I think you can then take those principles and apply them to other news stories, to our strategy, to your communities to your policies that you talk to your members of Congress, to professors, media, and others about to help change the world. This week I want to talk about two things. Iran, that's on the top of the news for most of the days this week. And also Muslim community police. Yeah. All right, maybe not police, they're they're unarmed Patrol, Muslim Community Safety Patrol, that is in New York. Why is that controversial? Well, let's talk about it. Certainly, actually, most of the stories I read about it wasn't controversial. It's controversial to me as a Muslim, as an American, and I'll tell you why. And those are the two main topics. I want to open, though, talking about this, another wacky story with Rashida Tlaib. Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib decided to do a radio podcast on Yahoo, on yahoo.com. And in that, she then proceeded to minimize the relationship issues, if if that's what you want to call war, between the Palestinians and the Jews during the inception of the state of Israel. Anyone who listened to the interview clearly got the implication from her words that she had talked about the Palestinians creating a safe haven, quote-unquote, for the Jews. She talked about a sense of calm coming over as she remembered and thought about the safe haven they created. She talked about the sense that despite all the suffering of the Palestinians, that at least there was some good because the Jews had a safe haven. And if that wasn't enough, she then released a formal statement on May 12th, 2019, in which she said, the office of Rashida Tlaib released the following statement from her press communications director. Once again, Republican leaders and right-wing extremists are spreading outright lies to incite hate. Oh, look, incite hate and lying. Congresswoman Liz Cheney should be ashamed of herself for using the tragedy of the Holocaust in a transparent attempt to score political points. 
On Friday, February 12th, Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib appeared on Yahoo's Skullduggery podcast. In one portion, she discussed the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. The Congresswoman mentioned the role that Palestinians played in helping to provide a safe haven for the Jewish people following the tragedy of the Holocaust. Representative Tlaib said thinking about this effort to provide a safe haven for people fleeing persecution brought calm to her because her ancestors were involved in helping those tragically impacted by the Holocaust. The Congresswoman did not in any way praise the Holocaust, nor did she say the Holocaust itself brought a calming feeling. In fact, she repeatedly called the Holocaust a tragedy. Again, this behavior by a bankrupt Republican leadership is dangerous, and she goes on. All the reporting on this wanted to imply, now maybe perhaps some Republicans and others said that it was the calming feeling she felt about the Holocaust. I never interpreted that, no. She was saying her calming feeling was somehow two absurd conclusions. Number one, the moral equivalency between whatever the humanitarian issues the Palestinians have suffered since the inception of Israel, she equated with a genocide of over 6 million Jews in the Holocaust in Europe. That is absurd and offensive to compare the thousands, few thousands of, of Palestinians that have died over time. Yes, there are human rights issues. Who's to blame? Many would say their own leadership, Hamas, militants that constantly launch like cowards rockets and acts of terror from civilian areas and Israel has to defend itself. So number one is the moral equivalency issue of the Holocaust and her calming feeling. Number two is the historical revisionism and outright false propaganda in which Palestinian leaders rewrite history like a fascist tyrant would in which they completely fabricate false cities devoid of the truth. And the important thing I wanted to share with you as, as somebody who's trying to reform against radicals like Rashida, how do you reform and get reason-based discussions when the facts themselves, the facts themselves, nobody remembers anymore? The books that they're reading are complete fabrications. So to think that Rashida Tlaib's information... Never mind that the Mufti of Jerusalem was not only sympathizing, was allies with Adolf Hitler. Multiple meetings for decades of how to meet with him and help him in the Middle East. The Mufti of Jerusalem. Never mind that the... the Arab leadership, the Palestinian leadership, never recognized Israel, declared war immediately, and began to have an outright, an outright conflagration of battles that began once the UN recognized Israel. And then on and on of the known history that the Palestinian leadership never recognized Israel, and it remains an obstruct an, an, an obstacle that obstructs peace till today. Even the BDS movement that Tlaib supports confirms this, which is their BDS movement is predicated on the fact of a right of return, quote unquote, and that right of return 
negates, effectively negates the existence of a Jewish state. She again reiterated a one-state solution in her response this week. One-state solution means no Israel. Becomes an Arab-majority Palestinian state. So, as she does the crocodile tears of a horrific comparison of the Holocaust to the Palestinian suffering, as she further minimizes not only the Holocaust, but, but claims some type of compassionate leadership of the Palestinians who you can do whatever arc of history you want, but not any of those arcs of reality show a Palestinian community that, like the vast majority of the free world, recognized Israel as a state and welcomed it to the UN, welcomed it to the world of nations. No, they declared war on it, and there was no self-haven, safe haven, and there was no acceptance in the textbooks and the radicalization of Palestinians via Hamas, via radical organizations have continued since then. So the revisionist history continues. The teaching point for everybody, please, this is not just Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib. She is a product of a community. And that community's information about the conflict in Israel and Palestine and the Palestinian areas is one full of fabrications. It reminds me of my, my parents. My dad used to tell me about the history books in Syria. And, you know, we started talking about it after 9-11. As I started to look more deeply at what is the suicide bombing and we looked at the history of suicide bombing and the first suicide bomber actually in the Middle East in recent history was the Marine barracks bombing by Hezbollah the terrorist arm of the Iranian regime in 1983 in Lebanon. That ultimately led to the departure of American troops out of Lebanon. And when we talked about it, I said, where, where did this ideology come from? And yeah, we've talked in different podcasts about the whole martyrdom issue and jihad. and Yeah, these are all deep issues that need reform. But he reminded me that the Syrian government textbooks by the so-called secular Hafez Assad and, and his son Bashar in the over 50 years of tyranny had textbooks about American world history. And it included excerpts about American history that would morally equate suicide bombing in Syria by Hezbollah, by uh, whoever you, Al-Qaeda or others, equate that with Patrick Henry shouting, give me liberty or give me death. This is the indoctrination. So even though most Syrians hated their government, hated their media, they still absorbed much of that information as essentially facts because they had no contravailing information coming to them from anywhere. So that became the indoctrination. Now, my father's family was educated in London and were Anglophiles and loved Western ideas of democracy and other things. So they found other ways to get other readings, but 
at the end of the day, as they formed many of the Arabic community in serious stereotypes, these are what they did. So their books had that. So the Rashida Tlaibs of the world, their tyrants, their Palestinian tyrants, hand them textbooks that spew this kind of nonsense about the Holocaust. And the Democrats this week demonstrated they could not get their act together. They minimized it, dismissed it, uh, blamed the Republicans, and they have really become the party of anti-Semitism. Even Steny Hoyer and Nancy Pelosi tweeted out and demanded that Lee Zeldin, Congressman Lee Zeldin, apologize, that the Republicans apologize for making Rashida Tlaib feel bad about her comments when she meant good, that they helped the Jews. Barf. As a Muslim, this is bigotry of low expectations. This is an insult to say that the history that 98% of Americans believe happened with the formation of Israel and with the Holocaust somehow is no longer true. And the truth is up for debate because it's how you feel. That's absurd. Let's jump to Iran, folks. A lot's been going on with Iran. We've seen not only the USS Lincoln going to the region, other ships, we're talking about tens of thousands, if not over 100,000 troops are being mentioned to be brought in. And, and all of a sudden now you're starting to hear the left and the media talk about the drumbeats of war. The drumbeats of war. And they know they can't use President Trump as an icon of a warmonger because he campaigned as one of his top three issues in the campaign after the border wall was to end wars and no longer participate in wars to no end. And he even tried to pull us completely out of Syria and elsewhere. And we almost got there, but he's talking now about leaving a thousand troops there. And yet, the belligerence of Iran has always been belligerent. They've always been that way. Death to America, death to Israel, the acts of terror driven by a war in Yemen, dominated by the Houthis' belligerence, and, and Houthis have become a complete proxy for Iran. Hezbollah in Lebanon and in Syria also battled against the Sunnis on behalf of Assad as he committed genocidal acts of war and crimes against humanity. And they supported that. They're also committing acts of brinksmanship against the Saudis. It looked like this week specific acts of terror by possibly the IRGC. And I'll remind you, President Trump declared the Iranian Republican Guard Corps a terror group. First time such a thing where you had an um, a, a overt arm of a state military declared a terror group, and we talked about that a few podcasts ago. So the belligerence of Iran has been stepping up a bit. They're panicking, bottom line. They're panicking because their economy's falling apart. The revolution nascent in turn in, in Iran and across the country is, is rumbling. You see increased social media activity. The people are not shouting death to America and death to Israel. They're saying death to Khomeini. That's what the videos and social media and networks are saying. 
with the left again. When Obama was in office, never mind that we had 12, 14 troops that somehow got taken by an Iranian vessel and then we had to have Secretary Kerry beg on bended knee to get them back. That appeasement doesn't matter and that wasn't brinksmanship because of how weak we were. That was the wisdom of a military strategist who did everything possible to hand the Iranians everything but the kitchen sink, including $150 billion as he turned a blind eye in Yemen and Syria and across the world to the chaos and anarchy that Iran was bringing about in the region. And he handed them a gold plate. What? In exchange for what? It turns out now their threat is a 60-day breakout period for their nuclear weapons. They're threatening that they will have nuclear capability in 60 days. How is that if we had this so-called fantastic nuclear deal? So all of that bought us genocide in Syria, humanitarian crisis in Yemen with, with impending genocide, acts of terror in Lebanon and Syria, Iraq destabilization as they basically colonized Iraq and now the Shia Crescent. All of this in exchange we got 60-day breakout. Now, some of the experts will say, oh, that's more like 6 to 12 months, but it's not great. So the reality is now they take the same appeasement was smart under Obama. Now we see President Trump, led by fantastic advisors who are telling him how to avoid appeasement because Middle Eastern Islamist tyrants do not respond to appeasement that empowers them. Their intel, through the leadership of NSA advisor John Bolton, Secretary of State Pompeo, was that we need to have a no-nonsense approach. They deployed ships. They were going to protect the uh, shipping areas. And there were threats directly against our troops made that were verified. And the intelligence initially was again reported by Iranian sympathizers and others in Washington as being false intelligence, and then the Brits, with their tail between their legs, recanted and said, you know what, that was real intelligence. There were missiles that were being floated in the sea by the Iranians. Now, the Iranians said that was somehow miscommunication, whether those were defensive or offensive. Give me a break. They're in chaos. They're completely disorganized. So now that I've laid out for you what's happening... we realize that this brinksmanship has sort of been their way. Proxy wars has been their way. But President Trump is just responding differently. He doesn't want war. How does Iran get out of this? I don't know. President Trump said, call me. President Trump said, communicate with me. That's probably their only off-ramp for this whole thing. But the reality is, to say that President Trump is trying to get us to war, and this is warmongering and all that other stuff, is just complete nonsense. Instead of showing and admitting that peace through strength is, is, is a way in which to deal with a threat that's impending from a completely disorganized regime, and that actually ends up helping the people. Let's jump over to Venezuela for a second. The left, again, because President Trump was talking about supporting the people of Venezuela, ended up finding themselves supporting Maduro. 
All of a sudden, the left that's all about populism and helping the people was supporting a socialist dictator and saying through the idiocy of people like AOC that somehow we were doing regime change. Regime change? The United States drove the demonstrations in Caracas and elsewhere? Come on. What has happened to the discourse in issues to where even if we, no matter how obvious something is, we can't agree to that truth because it means we submit to the victory of the other political opponent that we're talking to? That's nonsense. You can side. There are Democrats that have sided with the people of Venezuela. There are Democrats that have rejected the Iranian lobby in Washington and have said, you know what? We're with the Iranian people. We are with the sanctions because that evil regime is spreading terror. Now, you could disagree and say valid reasoned disagreement could be that, well, President Trump should immediately ask Congress for the green light to respond in conflict. To look at the War Powers Act again. These kind of things are very legitimate and many conservatives have raised them. But I can tell you that as somebody who hopes for freedom and liberty in Iran and Syria and elsewhere, this can be and should be done without American troops. But it also needs to be done with at least the containment of regional chaos that many of these imperialistic Islamist powers that want to reach out into creating conflict against Saudi, creating conflict against the Emirates, creating conflict against Egypt, and with their their proxy states of Yemen and Syria. That regional destabilization is always in their favor, and the only way to contain that is with the opposition of a real opposing and equal, if not greater, force. It's all physics, ladies and gentlemen. It's all physics. Same thing in the ideological realm. How do you expect liberty-minded Muslims to counter the theocrats without an equal and opposite ideological platform and movement? We don't have a voice. The Al Jazeera's, the press TVs of Iran, the Islamist media will end up speaking for all of us. Next, I want to talk to you about this Muslim community patrol. Saw a picture of a car the other day, and it was in New York City. I thought, look from afar, it looked like the New York State Police. I'm sorry, New New York Police Department. And then you go up to closer, and you look in the picture, and sure enough, it's the Muslim Community Patrol Services (MCPS), and their motto is aimed at protecting members of the local community from escalating quality of life nuisance crimes. That's what its website says. And they felt they took on a significant added relevance after the attacks, the terror attacks on mosques in New Zealand that killed over 50. Members members of the Muslim community that had seen it on social media immediately sought help from the MCPS for their mosques and elsewhere. 
and they gave trained counselors and chaplains to help out. <laughs> Haven't been able to find yet where it's funded. They don't carry weapons. They don't even pretend to be police. But yet, you look at their white cars that say patrol on them with emblems intentionally that look from far away like the NYPD emblems. And it can be confusing. Quick legal question. What if somebody sees them, flags them down, and uh, a armed crime is happening, a rape is happening on the streets or wherever, and then there's delay in getting 911 and others, what liability do they have? They say patrolling the streets is just one of their group's missions. They provide mentorship. This is from the Voice of America article on them. They provide mentorship. They are available in person or phone 24-7, and they want to bridge communities across religious, ethnic, and language divides. They provide services to speak to Arabic-speaking communities that may not speak English, Farsi, Pashto-speaking communities that may not speak English, People know there are Muslims in the car so they feel more comfortable, quote, unquote. And then they can ask us if they need anything. They have 50-plus volunteers, and they're trained to deal with crisis, including drug abuse, financial woes, depression, and suicide prevention. All sounds great, doesn't it? And again, I'm not trying to be glib here, but my problem is this. First of all, what was the crime of the NYPD? I'll remind you that there was a purging by de Blasio and his predecessor, a purging of the programs of the NYPD counterterrorism unit. Why? Because it targeted the Muslim community. And again, all of us who supported the NYPD said, we never want Muslim civil rights compromised or any less valuable than any other faith community or any other racial or, or, or neighborhood communities. But it should also be clear that there are no radical Islamists that were not Muslims. And certainly not all Muslims are radical Islamists, but all radical Islamists are Muslims. So, just like a cop on the beat, as I testified to Congress in 2011, just like a cop on the beat hangs around few blocks and neighborhoods, gets to know the folks in the delis, gets to know the folks in the businesses and the dry cleaners and elsewhere. He gets to know, or she gets to know, gangs, groups that hang out where, what they're doing, who's new to the neighborhood, who's not. They have a mental sense of what that community is. Ah, but if we use technology today to look at cars driving around, if we use technology to map larger areas in a similar way of only using publicly available information from the streets and from people that are public, not invading any private documents or taping anything internally. No, public information that they put into maps, a mapping project that was deemed by the mayor's office to be a activity that was profiling and should be abandoned and the work 
of folks. Look at the work of Mitch Silber and others of the NYPD and the counterterrorism. The entire report, Homegrown Terrorism. A New York City Department report. That report was cleansed from the internet. I have some on my computer if you guys need one. It was removed from the internet. Why? Because it talked about radicalization, talked about the four stages, jihadization and identification, the things that are core parts of understanding the movement of a nonviolent Islamist into a violent Islamist. That was purged. So we've gone backwards, ladies and gentlemen. Now, having laid all this out, why is that type of smart police work offensive, profiling, evil, but yet having a Muslim community patrol service with Muslim all over the car with emblems is okay as long as it's run by a monolithic, unvetted, nearly separatist and likely Islamist group. Because by definition, you put a Muslim community name on your car, That's by that time you're basically functioning like an Islamist. What is Islamism, ladies and gentlemen? It is a separatist movement that rejects governmental identification and thinks that you're a nation within a nation. Nation of Islam is the classic separatist movement. And Farrakhan in addition to his anti-Semitism and grotesque bigotry and hate and fealty to dictators in the Middle East and every anti-American idea possible, he got his so-called community bonafides by providing men that would stand at each corner and scare the you-know-what out of drug, drug dealers just by having bow ties and suits on. And that earned Farrakhan's men the respect of the community. Because as a Muslim, he rejected narcotics and drug use and alcohol use. It reminds me of those that praise Saudi Arabia. They say, oh, I know those those uh, hudud punishments in which they cut the hands of those who steal according to the Quranic and Sharia interpretation that that sounds barbaric, but oh boy, you should see. You should see their crime rate, how low it is. Nobody steals anything. It's an extremely low crime rate. Doesn't that make it worthwhile? So I'm not saying that the nation of Islam cut hands, but their methods... Whatever success you might feel is great to get drugs off the streets. A nation within a nation, a separatist movement, does not legitimize, does not become legitimized by saying that they're getting decreasing drugs from being on the streets. Hamas did the same thing. They endeared themselves to the community because they provided schools, they provided health care, clinics, food to a community that whose leadership had stolen it from them. Fatah had stolen it from them as Arafat and his successors had billions in banks. So, the Muslim community police services, 
says on their thing that they're here for everyone. So yeah, they're going to make it and probably do some good work. There's many community groups. Uh, Muslims aren't the only ones. There's uh, Latino ones and I believe Italian ones and others. But I don't think they're driving around in little white cars with emblems that look like the NYPD, number one. Number two, I don't think... Do we want, I don't know if there's any other faith ones. Is there a Jewish community police service? Is there Now, if you're going to create that service simply to protect mosques, I'm with you 100%. That's it. If that's all it does is protect mosques, like the Jewish community now is being forced to protect their synagogues. Everyone has become vulnerable with all the attacks we've seen. Protect churches, protect temples, prayers or places of worship. Why don't we... What would be great? A friend of mine in the Sikh community, a close friend, reminded me. He said, wouldn't it be great if the Muslim community protected all the synagogues, the Jewish community protected the churches, the Christian community protected the mosques, and we protected the other ones on their days of service? What a message that would send about America's e pluribus unum and what we stand for. Yeah, that makes sense if it's a protect place of worship. But if it's a drive around helping psychiatric illness, helping people that might be really involved in drugs and others, uh, I think it's going to go sour quickly. I think it balkanizes our community and it really gives people no leg to stand on when they blame. So basically, it just says when the NYPD focus on Muslim issues, that's evil because we don't trust this government. Why aren't your folks that are these 50-plus volunteers, if not more, why can't they do what they're doing through the police? Join our police services. Join our military. Become part of this country first. Not first. Decide to form your own balkanized, if it was police, it'd be vigilante. But these are unarmed, so they are simply providing community service. But your own separatist movement, I have a problem with that. And actually, you know what? I'll even go one step further. The religious schools, yes, the Christian community, Jewish community have their own faith-based schools. And I'm not in any way talking about taking away the rights of Muslims to do this. They're free to do it. But I will tell you that part of what is arresting us from any type of reform and modernization is the separatism in which the first thing they've done before they've assimilated into Western freedom and understanding of humanitarianism and universal human rights and nationalism, patriotism. They've built all these Islamic schools. In Europe, we see some governments like the Dutch paying for Islamic schools because that's the way to dish out government money equally is not to be biased against religious schools. Well, that might be true, but then you end up actually for those who are not assimilated feeding separatist movements and separatist groups. The president of France said as much and said that political Islam is a movement that teaches its followers, its people, to be separate and divided from this nation. So, you know what? Whenever you see something out there, ask a question. Hold our Muslim community accountable. Yeah, maybe the schools later can become evolved, but why don't we first integrate 
into the cultural contract of what it means to be an American and then later create a religious school. But if you have a religious school created now before we have assimilated into Western freedom and enlightenment and separation of church or mosque and state, then those schools end up basically being Saudi schools here, even if they may not be funded. Many are, were funded by the Saudis, but they basically bring... They basically bring the ideas in the Middle East here. That's why you had a school we talked about last week in Philadelphia where kids are singing in Arabic to chop the heads off. <laughs> By the way, the update on that story, folks, is they the school, the Muslim American Society School, released a press release saying that, well, okay, here's the reality, folks. Yes, we apologize. We're sorry about this. But the kids didn't even know what they were saying. They really didn't. They don't understand the Arabic. Yep, I, I I kid you not. They said they don't understand the Arabic. So here is a school of education reveling in the fact that their kids don't understand the words they're singing in Arabic. So, two major problems, folks. Again, another failed PR. Number one, is their message, oh, our schools just teach gibberish. They're not learning the language. Oh, that's a great educational system there. No wonder why there's no products coming out of the Middle East. Or is their second, is the other message that basically what most people that are critical of reformists say is that the only people that really understand the Arabic are the clerics and everybody else are just sheep and there's no way they could reform it. They're giving that line of thought credence and certainly it has credence if you look at illiteracy rates and otherwise there's some credence to it but for a school to push that out and be proud of it if it's true we're doomed ladies and gentlemen if it's not true then they're lying and they're just saying it because maybe those kids didn't know some of the words but they're teaching the kids to say things that later by the time they start to question what they are will be brainwashed into a supremacist mindset and that's got to be exposed and we got to keep exposing it as always it has been great talking to you a lot to talk about look forward to being with you again next week god bless stay safe and we'll see you soon. This is Udi Jasser on Reform This. Follow us at Reform This Radio on Twitter. Find me on SoundCloud at iTunes. Find me at theblaze.com backslash podcasts. And share and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes. God bless. Talk to you later. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.